0: Welcome back to the Outer Spaces Podcast. And today we have the uh, the privilege of speaking to Josh Flynn. He's the CEO of Seabreeze Property Services in Portland, Maine, and he's grown the company from uh, around 40 employees up to over 80. And from about 9 million in sales up over 15 million this year. So uh, we're going to talk a lot about tech and how to focus on a tech first company, uh, meaning that the integration of tech into your daily platform, into your daily way of doing business is going to help you obviously uh, loosen up the amount of time you're spending on tasks you're doing over and over and over again. And it's going to help you focus on growing the business and not just necessarily doing the thing. So um, take a listen to this episode. There's lots of great nuggets in there. And uh I hope they help you on your journey. Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast, sponsored by Yes Express, where we teach you how to get more yeses with less stress. So today I have the special privilege of having a great conversation with with the CEO of Seabreeze Property Services in Portland, Maine. Uh, He has grown his company from roughly 40 employees to up over 80. And uh, he's also taken revenue from over nine million to he's going to hit almost 15 million this year. So um, it's really I'm really excited about having this conversation on how he's scaled. And one thing I really want to focus on in this conversation is about how he's used his tech first approach to be able to empower and impact his employees and his team members so he can reach those goals that he keeps setting up for himself. So um, Joshua Flynn, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate the time.
0: Absolutely. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about your background. I love what you know what we have to talk about today, but I want to get a little sense of who you are, where you come from. Have you always been in this industry and how did you find yourself here?
1: Yep. Yeah. So um, I'm originally from uh, originally from Maine. I, I left the state uh, for about 10 years and I went to college. Um, down in Virginia and then after that I served in the United States Peace Corps for uh, a little over two years um, in environmental con- uh, conservation education uh, came back to the states and unlike now it was it happened to be very difficult for me to find a job so i uh, I ended up on a uh, cut flower farm in central Virginia um, on about 10 acres uh, there I kind of got the opportunity to manage some folks and and sort of, understand nuts and bolts of a small business. Um, I met my wife there and then we ended up moving back to Maine, uh, did a couple of small jobs, trying to kind of like get established, buy a house, do all that kind of stuff. Um, I ended up working for a smaller uh, landscaping company in my hometown. Um, after about one summer with them, it kind of became apparent that they didn't really have enough work for me and I was I was just working in the field. Um, So Seabreeze had a posting for an account manager. Uh, I ended up uh, being hired, but just as a field supervisor. This was in October of 2016. Um, And then after uh, the company had just been acquired um, uh, by a private equity company and we're transitioning ownership to a new leadership um, scheme that next spring. And when the new CEO took over, um, that's when I kind of moved up into management and then over the past six years, I've been able to kind of um, gradually climb throughout the company. And I've been either co-president or CEO now for Seabreeze uh, for about four years.
0: That's awesome. That's really, really cool. So how was it in those early times when you went from cut flower farm into, you know, into the seabreeze world and like how how did you have to grow to become that person now can be a CEO of a company that's gonna, you know, gross this kind of revenue?
1: Yeah. So I I definitely had know, I had some technical skills on like the horticulture side and could at least like speak a little bit of that language. Um, but when it came to like managing employees and sort of working with customers and things like that, um, there was a lot of on the job training. I, uh, I tried to latch on to some of the folks who had been at the company for, you know, 10 plus years and just really understand, you know, how they did their job. Um, there were a couple account managers when I started and I just tried to learn as much from them as possible. And then, you know, to understand and learn like the technical parts of the job and sort of all the things that the field um, employees were responsible for. um, I worked with them in the field as much as possible. Um, I spent a lot of Saturdays with them, basically of the mindset of, you know, hey, I'm asking you guys to work overtime for the team, like, let me show up and you guys can teach me you know, how, what the proper way to mow a lawn is or how we, you know, how Seabreeze does things or how to sweep a parking lot or different things like that. Um, And then just built kind of a, you know, camaraderie and respect from there. And then I was able to kind of, you know, build, build systems and processes for all of those folks to kind of succeed, whether it was initially with my team of, you know, 10 to 15 folks. And then, you know, gradually as I moved up and being responsible for more and more, um, just sort of tweaking and extrapolating those things to larger groups of folks. And then, uh, yeah, just keeping everybody involved in the processes as we went along. Um, cause they were the ones doing the work out in the field. They're the ones who work with the customers. Um, they have the most hands-on experience. So I just, over the past few years have tried to create a place where they can kind of, you know have support and just do their jobs cause they know how to do them and do them well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just really like be there when they, when they needed me.
0: Got it. That's awesome. So tell me now that you are, you know, CEO of the company, what does your day look like? Like what do you do as the the uh, person running the show? Like what does that look like for you?
1: Sure. Um, so I try to get here sort of first thing in the morning during the initial rollout. Um, we have a, uh, like a safety check um, sort of process where every truck kind of stops and um, go through the trailer and they get a snack and some water and a, how you doing during, during the morning from their managers. Um, so I like to be down there just to kind of like check in on, on folks, um, you know, get to, get to talk to the field employees and see if there's anything going on. Um, and then sort of how I start my mornings, I have, you know, various different systems, whether it's our ERP system or our CRM or, you know, our financials and kind of go through sort of the heartbeat of the company and, um, sort of understand what everybody else's day is looking like, how we're doing, if we're on track for, you know, budget for the month, customer interactions, things like that. Um, and then depending on the day, it could be um, check-ins with, you know, direct reports. Um, I try to schedule those for about an hour for, for all of those folks each week. Um, I try to get out to sites as much as possible during the week um, for working on particular projects that, um, you know, large construction projects, or we just finished up at a particular maintenance contract, uh, whatever it might be just to be out and about, not only to check in with the crews and see how they're doing, but just check in on the work and, and kind of make sure that I'm staying, um, current with everything that we're doing. Um, cause so we operate in a pretty wide expanse of, uh, of the state at three different branches. Um, there's just a lot of different things going on. So I like to, I like to stay informed, um, And then again, you know, sometimes I'm doing customer presentations. Um, I I might be getting the opportunity to do like podcasts or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But really just trying to like find the next thing for the next six months or the year, whatever we're going to need to work on in the future. I do a fair amount of forecasting and budgeting and planning. Um, So I get all the real time data each day and then I can kind of start to see what we're going to need to work on before we roll into the next season. Stuff like that.
0: That makes perfect sense. And how have you found the most effective way to become that person that can do this kind of thing, because I can imagine on the cut flower farm or when you started out, this wasn't part of your world, right? This was a very different life. And now you had to evolve into this role, right? And become the person that could look at the financials and understand and extrapolate and think about forecasting. And what are we going to do next? Like what are the next obstacles coming up that will slow the company down as the leader? You need to be very cognizant of them and figure out how to clean them out before you your entire team gets there. Right. you got to be right. way ahead of the pack. So my question for you is how did you become that person that could lead a team like this?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, a lot of learning from mistakes because, you know, I I didn't have a ton of experience when I started and, you know, there's only so many hours you can put into things um, at the moment before you kind of have to go through a few cycles to sort of, I guess, figure out what you don't know. Um, I've had a ton of support and help from our, um, our parent company who have helped coach me like throughout the process and you know, things are always coming up, whether it's personnel issues or, you know, equipment issues or vendor stuff or just the random things that can kind of, you know, the fires, so to speak, that need to be put out. Um, but for me, like personally, like I've tried to, um, especially over the last couple of years, get involved with um, other like trade organizations. Um, so I'm the vice president of the Maine Landscape and Nurserymen's Women's Association. Um, so I get to um, sort of interface with those those folks all the time, people who've been running companies for 20, 30 years. Um, through a, a family business organization in the state, I've been able to do like CEO dinners and different forums and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's really just like a, for me, it's like a continuing education of like, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, I haven't been doing this for 30, 40 years. Like I definitely don't know everything. So I'm always trying to like seek out and find folks who have experience, who've you know, been through the daily grind of a small business and whether it's landscaping or some other industry. Um, I try to read as much as I can. Um, I can't say I'm like a voracious reader, but you know, whatever the, whether it's one of the business classics or, or something else that's coming up. Um, I try to just stay, stay current. Um, I've done some leadership courses, um, through the university system or, um, different organizations throughout the state. So it's really like, that's some stuff that i've been able to work on in the evenings you know a few times a month three five times a month something like that um just to try to stay sharp and and keep building um and just you know when you go to a a three-hour seminar or something like that you're probably not going to come away with like you know groundbreaking material but there's always one or two little things that you can kind of integrate into the business um just to get that you know quarter half percent better on on whatever you're trying to accomplish
0: no i love that i love that and I heard it from someone who I highly respect, um, years ago. And they said, when you read a book or you go to a seminar or something, your goal isn't to, you know, try to take 50 things away from it. If you do, that's great. But the reality is if you can get one, one nugget, that'll change something substantial within your business or your life, it's a win. Right. And there's oftentimes I'll be reading a book and I'll be like, Oh my goodness, this is just so boring. Like, or whatever. And like reading through it, I'm like, just hold on for that nugget. And all of a sudden I get there and I'm like, wow. Like this yep. changes everything. And then I'm like, all right, we're good. <laughs> Sometimes I'll finish it. Most of the time I do, but if not, then I'm like, okay, I got the one nugget and it, it sets a different expectation for that, uh, you know, for acquiring that knowledge and not right. being like, you know, I have to get 50 things. I'm fail at this. I couldn't focus, whatever, you know, it's right. just looking for that one nugget and then you have never, I have an idea of where that's going to take you, but no, I love that. And so when it comes to, you know, growing as you obviously have, right. um, if you had the opportunity to go back we're gonna play a little game here if you had the opportunity to go back um when you first started on this journey to ceo um and you could sit down with yourself on a park bench we're gonna force gumpy here and you're gonna have a conversation with yourself what would be some type of information you would give yourself starting out to get to where you are and like what would you tell yourself coming in the future
1: i mean it's really like some more I'd say like more of the planning, like planning for the things that I didn't intend on happening, or like just these these unintended consequences of you know decisions that you end up making, or um, you know you think this is going to happen and then something else happens, and and from a growth perspective. You know, we we had perennially had an issue on the sales side of like not didn't have like a really good business development team, like weren't moving in that direction, but always kind of had enough employees. And then in the past few years, like it's kind of flipped um, as, you know, folks in the industry have become scarce um, and customers are, you know, it seems like sales have been through the roof the last couple of years. Um, so I, I don't necessarily know like anything specific, but it's, I'd say like, just like the resource planning and the allocation and the understanding of like what the market was going to be like, which I'm not sure anybody prior to 2020 probably understood what the last couple of years were going to be like in general. Mm. Um, but, uh, that that's, that's pretty much it because it's, uh, you know, we're a very, we have a very distinct snow season and we have a very distinct, you know, grounds maintenance season and it's, you know, we run like almost two completely separate businesses. So just to it seems like each year, like we've got one thing like really, really in sync and then something else kind of falls off. And then we kind of flip the script the next year. And, and you know, hopefully this year, it seems like we have all the pieces moving in the right direction. Um, but, yeah, it's just the planning and the forecasting and like the use of the data and the understanding of the numbers and just what that's gonna mean for boiling our business down to like the simplest things, which is, you know, how many hours do we need to work? Like how many employees do we need? How many new customers do we need to find? Yeah. And it just, it took us a few years to kind of work through, you know, prior to prior to my coming to the company and, and the company being bought, everything was on paper and whiteboards. And mm. a lot of people, you know, I think it's probably possible to do that at 500,000, a million dollars in revenue, maybe even two. Um, But the prior owners were doing that at eight and a half million. Hmm. And when we started, um, we didn't have any information. It was very little written down. Everything was done on Word documents. There was no like sales pipeline. There was no real like CRM. It was nothing. So we've just been building that over the last few years. And it's really now like in this grounds maintenance season really flowing into the snow season, where just, we have a really, really good understanding of the numbers and like what we're able to produce and production rates and things like that. Um, so it's sort of like, we've been doing a lot of hard work getting all of that information and it seems like it's finally starting to pay off. Um, so I guess if I'd known what some of those things were gonna be and like what the, the most important numbers and metrics were, then I probably would have tried to institute some of this stuff a little earlier. Um, but it just, it just took us some time to get there.
0: I get it. I get it, dude. And, you know, growth is, is messy. You know, anybody that's out there growing and is out there pushing through all the walls and obstacles you hit, you know, and, and not just from a employee standpoint or a vehicle standpoint or even client standpoint, but, growth of the entire team to be able to handle more work and handle more of everything right so i'd love to segue into talking about your focus on tech first right Right. how you can automate and and create systems for that i know so many i talk to daily in this industry you know there are the whiteboard and the the, you know on the scratch pad all the information everything lives on some handwritten draw or note somewhere right that's how i used to do it at least right And, and i realized that You know, when we first started 25 years ago, that that wasn't going to be a good way because no one else can touch it. And if I lose it, then I'm kind of screwed. Right. It's not very efficient. So anyway, with that being the case, you know, I started jumping into tech as well. But I'd love to hear your journey of taking that whiteboard, you know, Word document business and having it transfer into the 21st century with a tech first approach. So could you take a step by step on how you made that transition? If you don't mind sharing some of the different platforms you're using and how they've solved these problems for you.
1: Of course. So when I started as an account manager and was basically handed like a stack of you know maintenance contracts and was you know basically like execute this, all they had on them was like a number for how much the service cost. And when I was sending crews out, I was like, man, I don't, I'm not even really sure I know how to I can build a schedule because I don't know how many hours are estimated. I don't I don't know what any of this stuff is supposed to take. So. I started just with my little section of, of the company of, you know, tracking employees' times on particular tasks, you know, on a day-to-day basis that first summer that I that I was um, in account management because I just didn't know. I, I didn't know what to tell anybody. I couldn't even tell a customer like, hey, like this is I think how long it's going to take, mm-hmm. um, and you're just like working in the dark, and I definitely didn't know whether our team was profitable or what services were profitable, Um I know that everybody on the estimating side was like estimating like different labor rates and it just kind of was like all over the place. So our parent company was, is very tech first and like very supportive of like um, the new initiative. So um, we ended up uh, starting onboarding with Aspire uh, which is our current platform um, in November. I think I started the process in November of 2017 and you know, they kind of asked me at that point. I was in like a senior operations role and um they were just like, This is your project. Um, you know, bring the company from what we're doing now on board onto this system. You know, it's November now, our expectation is that by next grounds maintenance season, you know, we'll be up and running and everything will, you know, we'll be ready to go. Um, so I spent most of that winter you know, still doing all the other stuff, but then building out, like taking our contracts, uploading them into the system, you know, getting all of our employees, you know, taking what's what of a CRM we had on, on Excel spreadsheets and stuff and getting everything in. Um, that process took me, uh, the the full, like five months, um, with a little bit of help from the team, but I very much wanted everybody to continue to stay focused on what they were doing because the winter can be very hectic and was just like, listen, like I can get this built, like I can handle this. Um, So then we went ready to roll it out. We, um, you know, we'd been telling the field employees that we were getting ready to do something different. And then um, there wasn't like a, hey, we're going to kind of do paper and electronic for a little while and see how this goes. You know, basically at the beginning of the grounds maintenance season, we rolled out, you know, tablets to all of our employees and was like, here's what we're going to do. And it was a little bit of a shock and some, some folks in the field weren't Super pleased about it, um, even though it's it's less work than them, because at the end of the day, your supervisors would normally have to go and fill out timesheets where they were, all this other kind of stuff. Um, but the system just gives you a schedule. You just punch in and punch out all day. It's fairly simple. Um, and uh, that first summer was a little rough, um, just getting everybody used to the technology, Um Whenever you set things up in a system like that with a company of our size, like inherently six months down the road, you're going to be like, shoot, like I should have done that differently. So each, you know, each season I go in and kind of, you know, ask the rest of the team, like, hey, what do we need to change? What do we need? What's going to work better? What information do we not need? What information do we need to start gathering? And, and we tweak it year after year after year um, because the system runs very differently from uh, the grounds maintenance to the snow maintenance season. Um, and and over the last, you know, four years, like I could not at this point, like imagine a world without it. Um, if we didn't have the system, I anticipate we would probably need at least five to six more Um, overhead staff, um, just for the, um, cost of goods sold maintenance on like the receipt side and the job costing, um, Mm -hmm. the invoicing that it does, that's virtually automatic, um, the templates and the estimating and all the building that gets done, you know, they don't have to do what we did when we started where it's like, Hey, type in the customer's information, all that other kind of stuff. You're just building everything and everything kind of flows into it automatically, and then from an estimating standpoint, it's like, if you know the inputs, as in like the hours and the amount of materials, like it marks everything up, it gives you the pricing, everybody's consistent pricing. Um, you know, there's an approval process. So I approve uh, the majority of estimates that go out just to make sure that everything looks right, that nobody's kind of going off the rails just to sell a job. Um, and then it track. you know, it's the time, it's time tracking. So we don't use a different system for that. It, it just, it covers so many different facets of the business that makes and and probably the most important thing is that everybody in the company speaks the same language. Like yeah. it's the system that we use from the field staff all the way up through management, um, you know, sales and estimating, you know, you can kind of see the direct result of their work when it gets translated to the field crew, when they're told how much time they have to do a particular task or how much mm-hmm. materials. So it creates a good dialogue between sales and operations because all the information's there. And, you know, it's, It's led to, you know, less like finger pointing and arguing about, you know, well, that's unrealistic or this and that, whatever. Um, Because what we've empowered the employees to do in the field is like, give us the information, like use the system correctly, punch in, punch out, add the right materials. Like the better you do on that end, the better estimating we're going to be able to do in the future, which is going to make your job easier down the line because our times are going to be realistic. We're going to sell jobs that can get done. Um, so I think everybody kind of understands their responsibility and how important the system maintenance is. Um, we've layered on, um, uh, HubSpot for all, um, uh, initial deal flow coming into the company. Um, we get a lot of inbound calls. Uh, we don't do a ton of marketing. We're, we're certainly the largest vendor in our area and have been around for, um, 27, 28 years. So, uh, you know, we, the leads are difficult to follow and I, we don't want to lose track of anything. And we take a lot of pride in that, you know, no matter what customer calls, they're at least going to get to talk to a person because what we continually hear in the industry is like, oh yeah, I've called six people and like, nobody calls me back. Like that doesn't happen with us. Um, you know, whether we can do the job or not, cause I just think it's important because who knows what that customer is going to need in the future and whether they want to reach out to us again. So before it kind of gets into Aspire and we start muddying all the rest of that data, like HubSpot is a good um, sort of starting point for for what the you know the top end of the sales funnel looks like. Um, and in terms of other technology, um, you know, Land One is something we've started using in the last couple, uh, about the last year. Um, it's really great for we do a lot of commercial um, bid build work, and uh, it's really helpful for doing takeoffs and has made the estimating process like just that much faster. Um, cause with those, there's a lot of timelines and deadlines and churn is really important. Um, you know, so we have two folks in house that, that handle that stuff. Um, and, uh, trying to think of if there's anything really else that we utilize heavily. We, we try to utilize fewer platforms, but go really deep into what they're capable of. Um, we don't have to learn multiple different sort of languages, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, we use something called Planimeter. It's a, it's a small, uh, program. Um, I think it's Mac based only, but it helps to map out our properties. Um, so when we agree to a contract, whether it be grounds maintenance or snow, um, the customers know the service area, they know where where we're going to push snow, like where we're expected to do what work and when. Um, and you know, we take a lot of pride in, in putting our proposals together and having them be very professional and, and concise um, so there's not any conflict down the line and the customer knows exactly what they're going to be paying for, so that's just another aspect of that.
0: Um, josh Um, i have a question for you the you mentioned uh earlier about you know all the systems that put in place and how they've taken over and made that one language for the company which is so important one narrative one language everybody does it the same way you have consistency uh you don't have one person out there bidding projects low because they want to bolster their sales goals for the month and then you know company's taking the beating for it um and, and profitability but and you mentioned a little bit about how you get your teams to do this, right? When yeah. it comes from corporate down, you know, uh, there's a very high probability that people be like, oh, great. They want me to do that. Like, I have to do that. Right. And I think you do touch a little bit on this, but I'd like you to go a little bit deeper on how you incentivize the groups, you know, your teams to really buy into this and to really see what's in it for them. Do you have any tricks that you guys learned over the years to get the teams that they're willing to put 100% into the entire team winning through these processes and this technology?
1: Sure. So I think from the outset, it was really just about making everybody's jobs easier. Mm -hmm. And I think when you understand like what's in it for them, that you're not just trying to get all of this because initially like it seems like a really big brother type of thing. Oh, you want to track every second of every job that I do. So like I said before, like with the field staff, it's like, no, like we need this information to determine, you know, not necessarily whether the crews are doing a poor job, but like what does real look like? Like what are we capable of? Mm -hmm. And and then there's outliers like you can tell when somebody's going slower than somebody else and you need to you need to work operationally on efficiency and things like that. Um, But it's just about getting getting smarter and not having to work as hard to understand how we need to improve. And so for for the field staff, like it was really about like the quality of this information is going to make your job easier down the line because we're going to have realistic expectations for what you can accomplish in a time timeframe um, from a management staff. It hasn't really needed much explanation because, you know, the folks who were used to having to do everything by hand, now the system does almost everything automatically. Yeah. Um, you know, they bought into like those processes fairly, fairly easily and quickly. But I think, one of the more important things is like we we're a fairly like transparent company when it comes to financials. So each month I will do a like a, an hour long like Zoom conference with everybody who's in management. Um, and then a couple of folks who kind of split field and management duties as well. So when we go through like something like the P&L or like our free cash flow or like anything like that, it's tough to. If they don't have like full buy-in into the rest of the system, what we've been trying to do is create like where the translation is like, oh, when you do this out in the field, like this is what you see in Aspire. And then like, this is how it translates to our financials and how we end up becoming successful. And there's incentives and bonuses, you know, regarding company performance. Um, And for field guys, like there's a little bit of an incentive monetarily for like Aspire maintenance and how good they are at at managing the system because it's just our data is so incredibly important. Um, But like the connection between like the field giving us the right information and then sales selling to the correct margin, the correct hours and, you know, um, materials and all that other kind of stuff, like at the end of a month, like they can see how all of that stuff translates into the financial success and stability for the company Mm -hmm. and everything kind of seems to tie together. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's been frustration in the past of like, well, we've been doing this, but it's not translating over here. And now within the past year, we've, we've started to focus like a lot more just specifically on gross profit and for, um, our, like operations managers and account managers and sales folks, like really gross profit per hour. And the system can give us all that information. So when we start a month and our teams have scheduled out everybody in the company for the month, you have a pretty good picture of like where we're going to end in 30 days, which mm-hmm. a year ago, like it was like day to day, week to week. Yeah, yeah. So it's making, it's making their jobs easier because like now they're the ones forecasting out what their performance is going to be. So if I have the question of like, Hey, where are we going to find an extra 20,000? They're like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I can move this around. Or like, we can be a little bit more efficient here. When in the past, they'd be like, I don't have the tools to answer that question.
0: Yeah, makes perfect so sense.
1: So that's, again, like everything I've I've tried to build into the system and all the tweaks and changes we've made have been to, you know, reduce administrative burden on everybody in the company so that they can focus on the important things day to day, you know, making sure the field staff have what they need and are accomplishing their goals you know, for the estimators and the sales folks, speed and churn of proposals so that we can get to as many customers as possible. So whatever we can do system-wise to make that stuff happen, like that's what we've prioritized. And not to make it this like, you know, burdensome, you know, menial tasks that have to get done on a day-to-day basis um, for little to no benefit that anybody understands. Like just that's what we've tried to avoid it all.
0: That makes perfect sense. And, you know, as a field person, you know, it would, it's very frustrating when the kind of the office or the man dictates down, you need know, 71 hours to do this project. And they're like, well, how the hell is that going to happen? Like, there's no way. I don't know what they're thinking in the high castle that like, you can do this. This isn't real. Every project's unique. Every project's custom. How do you possibly start getting, you know, production rates from from that? How can you give me that time? Uh, that I have to work with to do this project. And to your point, you know, when you have the team invested and they see like, all right, well, if, if you think it's going to take 81 hours instead of 71, then I need to know that, right? So we need to have these projects categorized and constantly watched, so that when we bid another one very similar to it, we'll know, okay, well, the last one took us 81 hours. Let's give them 81 hours. That's what they need, right? Or how can we be more efficient? So for the buy-in, you, you already said it, you know, what's in it for me is what they're thinking. Well, what's in it for them is in the future, they get the opportunity to be part of that conversation by giving the information as they move through in real time, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the important part. I know when I first started out in business, it was like, all right, well, every project's so different. What's the point of even, you know, capturing this information? Why would I even start writing it down? Because as soon as it took me 121 hours to build this patio and landscape for a client, the next one was 145. The next one was 98 because it was close to the street or whatever. And like, how do you possibly get your hands around those production rates? But when you finally start looking at the longer numbers, like as you say, within the system, system, right? And the, the team start putting together so that should take about 80 hours. And if it doesn't take 80 hours, what kind of equipment do we need to get in there? What, what kind of skill set do we need to work on? Yep. What kind of systems aren't in place for this? Because we know humans can do it in this time. So now it's not just individualized where it just happens to be a really good leader in on that team that can get it done fast it becomes company wide because now they have each has the same skill set and equipment and all that's needed for it and you know with confidence that it can be done in that time frame and then the team realizes it can be done and they make it happen right when they have a goal a time they're like well i can do that and then then there's a little thing called competition right you throw that in there especially with guys and we're like damn straight i can get that done in that time i'm going to bring it in 71 hours instead of 81 (laughs) you
1: know yeah and it's It's, you know, it's really particularly for this year, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the best, like, um, sort of construction project year, like last summer. So we we took a lot, we took like a hard look at like a lot of just the pricing and the estimating and what we were doing. And I feel like there's just like a huge confidence boost when, you know, say last year we were giving folks like 20 hours to do what was realistically a 40 hour job, like, you know, crew shows up on site immediately, the supervisor is just like, I, I ju- there's no way we're going to get it done in the time they've asked us to do it. So let's just do it. And then there's not really a a, a you know a left and a right there. Like They don't really know how fast this is supposed to go. And at the end of the project, they're just going to be like, guys, it wasn't possible. So we just did it. Yep. Now, what we're seeing is with it being a little bit more accurate, when they understand that the goal is attainable, you know, there's a lot more confidence, you know, they don't feel like they have to rush or to cut corners or to do things that are going to cost us money in the future because we have to do warranty work or repairs. Um, And then when they know like that the goal is attainable, now they're trying to come under time and they're more, they're more motivated to do that because they're, you know, it just, it's, it seems possible. Like if you give something, somebody something that is truly impossible, they're just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just here to do a job today. Yep, um right. and now you know we've seen production rates actually get a little bit faster than they were in the past and just overall like employee morale on that side of the business has been a lot higher this year um because they know they know they're winning you know mm-hmm. what I mean like they just they they want to win when they come to work
0: and and you set wow. them up for success you, you, know, say you set them up for
1: success that's and the I big think, thing yeah you know it's it's, aspire is a bit of a of a you know kind of like an estimating weapon for us and you know, it's helped particularly in the past year or so with, you know, labor rates changing all the time. I mean, material rates changing all the time where now we can just make a few tweaks in the system. Now we have a better idea to forecast out like what is, you know, we never used to price very well for like a project that was next year. And now it's like, no, 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 no. Now we have a good idea what's going to happen. Like, let's set different labor rates. What's We can price things a year or two years out. And we're just smarter about all these processes because we have the information of how it's affected us like the last couple of years.
0: It makes perfect sense, dude. It makes perfect sense. Like back to you know what we were just talking about when it came to like running the, the first uh, sub four minute mile, right? When Roger Bannister ran the first one, and then he's like, Oh, it was impossible. It's impossible. He did it. And next thing you know, within a year, there was a ton of people that ran a sub four minute mile because somebody showed that it was possible. You're like, Oh my God, it's not impossible. I can actually do this. Well, if he can do it, I can do it. It's the same Mm -hmm. thing will happen in the organization when they start seeing a project that's, you know, like you'd mentioned a 40 hour project, like I can bring nothing in 30, watch me. Mm -hmm. Right. And next thing you know, it happens. But once they see it's possible, that's a bigger thing. But, um, Josh, it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this. And I hope the listeners have picked up so many of the, the awesome nuggets that you've dropped here with keeping technology first and thinking about, all right, well, instead of those whiteboards and those, uh, you know, those, those notepads taking notes or trying your hardest to just put stuff in QuickBooks, it's to start processing and start planning these things out. I know that's been a huge part of our success here at Master Plan has been. You know, with with creating processes and systems and going through every single step and figuring out who's in charge of it and getting all that set and then trying to automate as much as possible. So you're not doing medial tasks every day and you're just the machine tells you what to do. And then you can focus on growth. You can focus on working on your business and not in it as much and all that kind of stuff. But so many of these things have been uh, have been created in technology now where you don't have to keep doing them the old fashioned way. And I know it takes a little bit of learning, but winter's coming. Right. Sit down and, and say, look, I'm going to take on one task this year. I want to get everything up. The simplest thing is just getting things in the Quickbook, QuickBooks, right? There's QuickBooks online you can use. You can get into Aspire or LMN or these, you know, get in hook up with Westover, it's synced up and start sure. looking at this and focus on something if, as long as you can get one thing really dialed in this winter it would be a success and next year you add to it in the following year you add to it you don't have to take the entire thing at one time it's like eating an elephant it's one bite at a time so why not focus on something maybe it's your sales process maybe you'd like to spend less time on going out to leads that aren't turning into actual clients and spend more time focusing on building your business so there's there's systems and processes already pre-built for that so the question is what are you going to do with your time this winter and so that next year can be easier and you can grow more now why as we finish up here Josh I'd I'd like to hear from your perspective as you grow, do things get easier or they get different?
1: I mean, it's like I, I guess some things get easier because you, you know, through delegation and like growing the organization and putting more people, giving other people ownership in certain systems and processes like I I think you don't have to do some of the things that you did as you're kind of like growing your business and everything felt like it was on your shoulders and you're just doing everything. Like if you're setting it up and you understand your organizational chart and you're giving people responsibility and, and then coaching them through that process, like that's some of those things get easier. Um, And then, yeah, a lot of things get different um, just in how you, how you think about stuff. Um, I'd say one of the things that's been toughest for me is like you end up and I, and I would think it's toughest for folks who've grown their business over like 20 years is the separation that ends up being created between yourself and like every other member of the organization to where like you don't have as much time to be in the field and be around the guys and making sure that everything's going well. And like gradually as you as you grow a larger organization, your focus has to be targeted to, you know, maybe only your direct reports and like your senior leadership team and then other things are other people's responsibility now. So I think I think that's where some of the biggest differences come for me is I'm I was much more used to just being very very hands on and involved on a day to day basis, mm-hmm. um, but I've had to kind of grow out of that to give other people the chance to do that, and also so I can focus on like some of the bigger initiatives for the company going forward. And that's I would say overall that's the biggest different thing is your yeah. your scope of um, time in terms of what you're thinking about changes a lot. So I'm not so much about like what's happening tomorrow or next week or this month. It's really like what's happening next season, next year, um, next sales cycle. It's you, you can't, you kind of can't stay in today. Like you have to be moving forward through tomorrow and and the next thing and the next thing. Um, And that takes some adjusting and getting used to, because again, a lot of people are used to just operating day in and day out um, and running their business. When, if you don't take the time, like you said, all of a sudden you end up running into something six months now that you could have probably, you know, resolved um, prior. So I think that's probably the biggest difference as as the company scales and grows um, is just the distance that I have to think out and sort of the initiatives that I uh, have to work on.
0: I love that. And it's so true. It's so true. And like you have people that take care of the day to day, the week to week, the month to month. Now you got to be focused on the month to month or the year to year. Where are we taking this ship? I'm on the top of the ship looking out of the captain's, you know, whatever uh, room looking out, sure. like, do I see a mountain? Do I see a, a, you know, a lighthouse? What do I see in the way distance while everyone else is making sure the ship is still moving forward? So, sure. and, and you got to keep, you got to build those skills. Now, if, if I were a new business owner or been in business for a while and i really want to bring a team in and i really want to create a business that i'm working on instead of in like get out of the field get out of the day-to-day stuff and get into the actual captaining of the business what are some tips you could give that you've learned on your on your journey that could especially starting out like what are some basic beginning tips to start that transition into someone who owns a company as opposed to owning their job
1: i think first and foremost because i Having met with a, you know, we've done some acquisitions and meeting with some folks like Budget, because if you don't know what you can afford in terms of staff or like what's going to work for your size of company and and how that's going to eat into your responsibilities, but then how you can turn your excess time now into more growth, if you don't actually know what that's going to look like uh, from a numbers perspective, then I think there's a lot of risk there to either overhire or underhire or just not not set out on the right foot. Um, and then as, as you kind of like build the team, like be really objective and direct about like what they're going to do and try to give them, um, you know, the right framework and, and you can't necessarily micromanage it, but like make sure they understand their roles and responsibilities and specifically what they're going to do and and build out the rest of the organizational chart. Um, so I think you know, you want to like look at from a day to day perspective, like, hey, what are all the things that have to get done? How is my company organized? You know, we used to be a company that had account managers and then they had all the field staff and manage those folks and had some, you know, an operations person that was supposed to be in charge. We moved away from that. And now we're much more of a divisional based company that has account managers and kind of everybody works together. Um so we've restructured a couple of times. Um, I think there's always tweaks to be had and always things that can be improved. Um, but I would say knowing your numbers and then knowing what, how you're going to like divvy out that time and those responsibilities um, and then supporting those people and letting them do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you, if you can't let go or you just can't stop doing something. And and there are things that I, I still do um, that people are like, listen, man, like you, I, you gotta let me do it, and I'm like, okay, fine. Like here, <laughs> um, and I, I, th- I think those are two of the biggest things to like get set up appropriately, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, you got to take a few risks. You got to hire some people that you know we definitely hire for talent, if even if there isn't a spot available. And we've hired some folks that weren't necessarily in the budget the last couple of years, but have made just a tremendous impact. And I'm and I'm glad we did it. Um, yeah, and I and I think. You know, there's like letting go of the safety net and a little bit of the the security of like, well, I always used to be in charge of this stuff and I always used to do this stuff. Like you, you have to be willing to like delegate and just let some people give it a shot and like they're going to fail and some things are going to go wrong. So you got to be there to like coach them and support them and like maybe steer them from some of those mistakes. Um, but if that's, you know, if you're just micromanaging them, like you're pretty much still doing the job and then just paying somebody else to be around. Yeah. Um, I think those are some of the bigger things.
0: No, I love that, and you know, it's it's the our identities, you know, as owners, that have to keep changing. Like when you start out, like I'm a business owner, this is amazing I go to a cocktail party, or I'm a designer, or I'm a, a this, or I'm a that, and then pretty soon you aren't, and then you're like, oh crap, now who am I, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's like you got to keep that has to keep evolving, but you you got to let your ego go on those things and be like, you Absolutely. know what? And, and I know I found, and you could tell me if you found this too, Josh. But I found that when I started hiring people for the team they were a lot better at these things than i was you know yeah. i wouldn't admit that in the beginning but it was true well,
1: you know there's there's the old adage of like you know i didn't I didn't hire somebody to you know tell them what to do i hired them to tell tell me how i should be doing it and yeah. you know it was especially for me very early on like i had to learn that lesson because i just didn't have that much field experience and it's like if i sit back and i start telling all these guys exactly how they're supposed to do their job rather than trying to like learn and understand and then support um they're not going to want to do a single thing that I asked them to do. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, that sort of agreement with your employees and just being able to sit back and and take in new ideas and listen to people's suggestions for the folks that are doing that stuff day in and day out. That's just going to make everybody more successful. It's going to increase confidence. It's going to increase, you know, just like the honest conversations that need to happen within your business. Um because I, I think as a business owner and, and I don't own the company, but, you know, for being in charge, like you can be blind to some things just because you mm-hmm. have an opinion about it. And it's important to consistently take in more information, you know, from everybody else around you. And and frankly, hire folks. Like if you surround yourself with a bunch of yes people, like that's, that's not probably going to be the best thing for you down the line. Um, obviously, you don't want like antagonistic folks who have a bad attitude and just tell you everything's wrong all the time, but just people who are going to be you know, capable and open and willing to giving you like the tough information when you need it and then willing to work on it when you guys come up with a solution. Um, I, love that. Yep. I think are just you know, super important stuff.
0: Yeah. Capable and competent. Right. So that's, and someone that's willing to take a stand and say, no, that's not how it should be done. Uh, right. Cause that's the, it, 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 to your point, if you have yes men and yes women around you and you're, they're just constantly kind of You know throwing logs on your fire and make you look better you're not going to last long because that's not the kind of team dynamic you need in order to succeed Um, you need somebody that's going to call you out on your shit and they're going to call you out to your face and that's how you grow 100 Mm -hmm. so josh i could go on all day talking to you i I love conversations like this you're just full of great information so if i was someone listening and i wanted to reach out to you what's the best way for me to do so
1: Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn's great. Um, You know, Josh Flynn's, he reached property services. Um, If you go to our website, there's a, you know, you can call the office and and talk to Kristen. Um, She's going to ask you a ton of questions about what you want. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those are two easy ways. Uh, But LinkedIn seems to be the easiest.
0: I appreciate it, Josh. So Guys and girls out there listening, you know, if, if you're not integrating technology into your business to simplify your processes and systems and make sure that each and every time they can be done consistently so you can give that same amazing experience to each and every client and not have to just get lucky sometimes and take care of things the right way. And then, you know, miss their, the neighbor calls up and then you, they get a completely different experience from you. Um, get in the tech. You know, uh, Josh, said about Aspire, there's a tons of others out there. You know, the goal here is to be able to release your mind from having to think about all the little daily things that are done over and over and over again and focus more on working on your business. So uh, take a look at some of these platforms you mentioned. Josh, thanks a lot for coming on today. And uh, you know it's our goal to impact and empower as many in our industry as we possibly can. So if you found value in this uh, this episode, please reach, uh, reach out and share it on social media. It's going to help get more and more people um, the information they need so they can be successful too. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.